I'm going to introduce Joop. Is that necessary to introduce Joop? Uh, he's going to speak to us on innovation and development. Joop, can I invite you to come forward and lead us? I think we drink tea at four, or coffee if you please. So if you have some time to, to stay connected, it would be very helpful. Um, I'll do my best. I have a slight problem with this. As I heard Mike uh, talking uh, this morning, uh, I heard him say some of the things I was going to say, but that's better even then, because I have less time now left. So that's... So that's it's guidance. That's what you heard already. Uh, the thing is, originally, Goff Hope was meant to do this talk, and he was supposed to talk on team, but uh, Goff couldn't make it to come here. And then Mike asked me if I could share something, but not Goff's talk. That's basically what you said, and uh, share something of the of the challenges and the opportunities related to to the mainland as well. So I was thinking of that, and I ended up with Abram. But as you see, Mike already talked about Abram. Um, and I ended up with a story from Acts 11, which I want to read uh, to you. But still, I secretly looked into a paper that God gave me about his talk, and which I found very helpful. God, I think, is a jazz lover. Is this right? So he wanted to, to speak about jazz, uh, which is a very, well, vivid subject to speak about. I don't know anything about jazz. I like it, if it's not too wild. But, um, <laughs> so, but some things Goff, well, kind of learned from, from jazz musicians, he wrote down. And I, I borrowed some of these quotes from him because they fitted so to what I was going to say. I will read them somewhere during what I'm going to say to you. And another thing that struck me was the new website. I hope you've all visited our new website. I came across the list of churches. And uh, I don't know whether you've noticed the change in the list of churches. It's been a while ago since I read the list. But I, I thought I saw some 70 churches or something like that, churches, church plants and so on. And I saw the, the new list, and I counted 51 or 52. Maybe if you haven't reached the list yet, they're still on the way. And I thought, this is less than what we had. I mean, if you have 70 and then turn into 50, this is not what we are aiming at. We are aiming at 50 turning into 70. But then when I, when I looked more, there is something wrong with this. Yeah. When I looked more closely to the list, I thought, this is good. What we did, well, we, I didn't do anything, but what someone did with the list, maybe it's Morris or, or someone else, but what someone did with the list, going through the list and making it real, real to what, what really is happening. So I, I saw in the former days, I saw the name, uh, the, the place called Lake on the list. We had Rob here mentioning something about Lake. And now he's got so frightened he left, I see. Um, 
and it's not anymore there. And so there were a few other names. I think, hey, they're left. We had something like Assen standing on the lift, if you, list, if you know where Assen is. And Assen is not even there, not on the list, but not in reality as well. well of course, the city is, but... <laughs> I, I, well, I hope at least <laughs> it's still there. So, and that made me think. And so I came up with two of Goff's um, uh, uh, subjects, improvisation, innovation, and uh, development, things like that. And I wanted to, to say something about it. Still, I want to read something from Genesis. It's very familiar to you all, but I do want to read it just to, to help us. Um, Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make, you, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. The last thing, especially for me, it's encouraging to read that Abram was 75 years old when he left. I'm not not at least that far. Uh, Genesis 15. After these things, that's the meeting with Melchizedek and so on, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I, can, I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my host household will be my heir. heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, them then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted him, it to him as righteousness. And then it's summed up in Hebrews. I'll just make a quite survey through the Bible. This is always good to do. Hebrews uh, 11. It's summed up here, actually. By, verse 8. By faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking toward the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So in a, in a moment, I will read a small story from the book of Acts. But first of all, my attention was drawn to Abram. As it is said, Abram left without knowing where he would go. We all know this, but we don't always work at that. This morning we, make, we made some jokes about control, being in control, and being flexible, you can remember. And the kind of notion was, well, are we Dutch really flexible? Uh, don't, don't we have the, 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 the thing of 
being in control and taking care of everything, see to it that it will be good. We does say that from the Germans, of course, and the Germans will say that from the Russians and so on. But the, the, the thing is, we, we, we tend to, we, we all of us, all of us, also the English, we tend to, to live a bit like that. I mean, we, we, we face the consequences of things, we work out a strategy on things, what we do, and then we act upon that. Abram didn't do any of it. Abram did only one thing. God said, go, and he went. And Hebrews is very clear. He did not know where he would go. The only thing he knew was the direction, I think. Otherwise, he would have ended up in Africa somewhere. So he ended up in, in Canaan, in the land of Canaan. And it was until he was there that God said to him, this is the land that I will give to you. So this struck me because... In Groningen, I think in many more churches, we're trying to divine our journey. What are we doing? Where are we going? What, what is the end of what we are doing? What do we try to reach? We even had a discussion with our, in our team. Does it matter whether, whether you call something a church plant or a multi-site? I, I, well, there are other things to discuss, but this was one of it. And, and well, we had some difference in positions. I thought... It doesn't matter at all. We'll see what it is when it's there. That's, that's my position. And I think that, that would be the same answer Abram would have given. When someone asked him, where do you go? He would give the <laughs> illuminate answer, I don't know. That's, that's, that's reality. You don't know? No. Is there a house for you? I don't know. Is there a grave for you to be buried? I don't know. And I, In fact, there was no grave. He had to buy it. Is there anything you can work? I don't know. Well, then why are you going? That would be the proper question. God said so. That's actually, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not ridiculizing it. Yeah, that's it. I'm just trying to make it clear for us. Abraham simply left because, because God told him to. That's the only reason. I find a similar verse in Matthew 28. Therefore, Go and make disciples. There's a similarity between that. Yes, Lord, but where do we go? Is it this? How do we, we, we live? How do we, where do we live? God says, go, go. So now I want to take you to the story of Acts, which I wanted to... This was kind of background information. Um, 11, Acts 11, 19... Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Barnabas, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, 
And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So Acts 11 is actually an example of a church planting. However, a non-deliberate church plant. I don't think anyone can say that these disciples left with the assignment to plant a church in Antioch. The reason they left is in the Bible. They left because of the persecution. So you, you could say they fled. They fled from home, they fled from the, their land, and they fled somewhere, wherever. And in the end, they ended up in Antioch. And on the way, going from Jerusalem or wherever to Antioch, they did one simple thing. They communicated the gospel of Jesus. And even on the road from, from Jerusalem to Antioch, they developed their strategy and even their, well, their theology, to be honest. Because it says they only spoke to the Jews. This is what they were used to do because actually in the very first beginning of the first church, I think they thought the Messiah had come for the Jews. They did not fully understand the text from Isaiah 49. It is too small a thing for me. I've sent you to the ends of the earth. So God needed a miracle at the, at the, at the balcony of Peter's house to, to, to have Peter going to the, to the pagan's house of Cornelius. Otherwise, he would never have gone. I mean, this was so distant from what they knew, from what they were, from what they believed, they would, not th- they would not have thought of going to the Gentiles. So Peter was the first one. He even had, you can read in the Bible, he, he even had to defend himself. himself. Going into the house of a pagan, he had to defend it. So, and then this, somehow on the road, these Christians picked it up. We don't know where or when. They started off talking to the Jews, and then some bold men, I could say, bold men from, well, from Cyprus, maybe not even Jews, we don't know, probably Jews from Cyprus, some bold men talked to the Greek and discovered God was with them because the Greek, they listened, and God added a multitude. And when he added a multitude, then suddenly they faced themselves with a problem. They had a lot of people. What, What do you do with a lot of people? So, and then, when the Jerusalem church heard about things going on, they sent out someone to, to organize it. Let's put it this way. This someone was Barnabas. Barnabas, looking at the thing, thought, I need, I need Paul. So he went and took Paul with him, and they came, and they taught the church, and they developed everything, and, the God, and God added daily. And in the end, you could say it was a church. And Acts confirms it by saying, from that moment on, they were called Christians. So they were, they were well, determined, if, if you please. It was not just a bunch of people being weird of going anywhere. It, it, they, were, they were a church. They were the people of God. They were called Christians. What this story teaches me is that, and, and that's the same for the story of Abram, we know the beginning, but we don't know the end. We know where to start, but we don't know where to come. And, well, I think officially we, we, we underline that. But my problem is, deep inside my heart, do I feel comfortable with that? Do I feel comfortable with going out 
we, we often quote Mike. We, quote, we, we do quote you when we don't know what to say. So then, then we, 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 we do quote, well, that's, that's what he's here for, isn't it? So we do quote Mike, and then, in, so, and then we say, as Mike always says, I don't have a clue. <laughs> this is true, isn't it? That's what he always says. And actually, and actually, this is a very biblical answer. That's one of the best answers you can give. When Abram was asked the question, where do you go? He would have cited, quoted Mike and said, I don't have a clue. And when the first Christians on the road somewhere were asked, where are you going? We don't have a clue, but we're, fl- we're fleeing from, from where we are. But God knew. So God sent them back. One other thing that was very much uh, striking me, and I did not ask the person involved to, to quote him, but I don't think he, is very, he will be very much upset if I do so. And if he is upset, then I'll let you know. Um, the other day, oh, I'm not very good at this, as you may know. So I'm, I'm just trying to, to do it all over again. Um, we received an, an, a kind of a, a thing from Adam Bradley. Adam is one of our team. And Adam has kind of family living in, in, Norway, in Norway, I think. And then he, he talked with Mike with, about a, a project called Stavon. It's, it's all very nothing still. But we, we've been talking as a team on that in a, in a Google Hangout, which is a very odd experience to me, to be honest. But nevertheless, we did it. At least we tried. And um, then he, he, he wrote a paper on it, and I want to quote a few things from his paper because it's, it struck me so much what he wrote. He visited a, a, a relative in a place called Stavern in Norway. Stavern, about thousand people, which is, which is nothing, actually. It's, a, it's even smaller than the village where I live, and that's a small village. So, and then he is, and, and he was touring around, and then a number, he's, he writes, a number of questions started to bubble up in my heart. These are the questions. Who will ever come to plant a church in a place like this? In a place like this? In fact, outside of Norway, who has even heard of Stefan? That's the questions he asked himself. And he says, this sparked off lots more questions in my mind. Is planting, is planting churches in the major cities of country truly success when it comes to a family like RM that strongly believes in the local church? How can relational mission impact little towns across the northern nations? He mentions Norway, Sweden, Denmark, etc. Even Iceland. In a way, how can they impact little towns across the nations in a way that will one day see couples or teams moving to places like Stavon to plant churches? At our current pace of church planting, will we ever get beyond the major cities and towns and into places such as Stavon? I think we need to ask ourselves these questions. If you go on holiday somewhere, or if you're visiting people somewhere, you should, you should be willing to look around and ask yourself questions. Will we ever get to Stavon? Well, I won't, I can, I can assure you. It's quite cold there in the winter. But, 
but some of you may like the cold. But will, will we ever get to Stefan? Thousand inhabitants. I can ask the same question for my village. We're living there now. When we lived there very recently, I had a talk to the local minister who's now left because there are no believers left. So, and then he said to me, what does, what do, what do people who, who, well, I told him I was a preacher, we, we talked about the gospel and so on, and he said, what do people like you do in a so non-Christian village like Uskut? Uskut, that's the name of our village. Well, I said that would be the place to be for Christians, isn't it? I mean, if you're a Christian, then you should go to a place like Uskut where no one knows the Lord. But all these things do raise questions. And someone said, if we continue in the way we've done so far, how long will it take before we ever have filled the earth with churches? So that brings me to that brings me to uh, Goff, if I can find him. So, what, what, what else? I have found a quote, but what else I want to say is this. They, the first uh, apostles, disciples, they had a clear vision on church planting. After these Christians gathered a group of people, they sent off Barnabas, an apostle. Barnabas took along Paul, an apostle. Prophets came. I've, I've looked up, there were seven references in the New Testament talking about apostles and prophets building the church of Jesus Christ. So there, there is a significant role for apostles and prophets in the early days of the church, in, in, the, in the conceptual phase perhaps, in the church planting phase at least of the church. And the, the, the quote from Gough I want to, to give to you, because Church planting is one of our core values, but we need to be good at it. He talks about jazz, about innovation. I like this quote. Even by reading this quote, I would love jazz. Listen, only Goff can put it like this, I think. Maybe he borrowed it, but there's a freshness, a certain quality, which can only be obtained by improvisation. He's talking about innovation in music. It is something to do with the edge. Always being on the brink of the unknown and being prepared for the leap. You, we all know from jazz, the, 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 how do you say that, the jazz sessions. They, they come together, a group of musicians, jazz musicians, and they kind of unprepared start taking off and, and it's getting more and more exciting. That's what I know from jazz. And that's actually, I read the quote again. There is a freshness. Think of church planting. There is a freshness, a certain quality, which can only be obtained by improvisation. It is something to do with the edge. Always being on the brink of the unknown and being prepared for the leap. This sounds much more fun than saying, okay, what are our bullet points? What's the first step? This... And when this is in place, then that, and so on. This is much less fun, isn't it? The simple thing of trying to look for the edge. How far can we reach? What can we do? What do we need? Where will we go? What will he do? What will she do? That's what he is describing here. That makes the team work. That's why it's, it's about team. That makes the teamwork of, of playing jazz, I think, beautiful. As much as this is true for jazz, I think this is true 
for the commission Jesus gave us to plant churches. We need to look for the edge. We should never forget the name New Frontiers, for instance. I mean, we are relational mission, but still, as Mike this morning explained, we are family. So I thought to myself that the large family is New Frontiers. Like, I've got cousins and uncles and faraway uncles and so on and aunts. These, these are, that's, my, that's my family, but my core family are the people with the name Baka. So, relational mission is the core family, but the broader family is New Frontiers. And New Frontiers has something to do with finding the edges, at the brink of something, pushing through the edges. This, is, this has to do with, with church plants. So, and then, interestingly, we all know that New Testament never talks about uh, church planting. The word does not exist in the New Testament, the word church planting. The word planting exists. Uh, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. And in the Old Testament, we read about planting and building. It's something together. There is a togetherness in it, planting and building. I come again with a quote from Adam. I hope you still understand what I'm saying, because it's a bit late already. But... um, Let's, let's put it. I would define, Adam is talking about pioneers. Pioneers to reach sit, towns like Stephen and, and, and beyond. I would define a, pion, a pioneer as someone who breaks open new ground, planting the seed of the gospel into a new community, but, he, he lightened it, but, and this is important, he may not be the key person to lead a growing church plant through the various phases of church growth. So, and then he mentions the part which I read to you you about Acts 11. Maybe we have to become familiar with the thought that every church plant could be on a different path, a different way. The aim is still the same. Our mission is still the same. We believe that the kingdom of God is best served by the church. We agree on that, I hope. So our aim is still planting as many churches as possible. But it might well be that the way to do that is different from previous experience. So now I come back to where I started off with the list. I was kind of pleased with the fact that we diminished diminished the list from 70 to 52 or 3 or something like that. Because... It, it, it equals reality. Let's be honest. We had to close down some church plants. We know that. It's never, it's never uh, nice as, an, as a team to say, sorry guys, but we, we have to end this. Even in, uh, in our uh, region, we had to, plan, well, Rob was here explaining something about the, the children thing. And so we, we officially had a church plant in Lake. It's not, more on the, not anymore on the list because we, changed it. We, we actually closed the official church plant, if you want to. But we still want to see the people of Lake saved. Isn't it? But we discovered there was not the way to get there. And we, we, we came back to the initial thing, namely the call of God. God said, go. And he did not say, have a meeting or do this or do that. He simply said, go. And then we tried to find our way in doing so. So, the only thing we, we, we find now is that 
I think it is fair to say that we've sometimes, well, at least I did, it, we sometimes focused, of the end, uh, focused at the end result instead of the beginning. So if you buy a ticket on the train, you don't say, give me any ticket. I don't mind. Which ticket do you want? I don't know. Give me any ticket. You don't do that. You focus on the end result. You say, I want a ticket to Joburg. Well, whatever. And then, but in church planting, it's the other way around. You don't focus on the end result. You don't focus, according to the Bible, on the, on the start. Jesus said, go. God said to Abram, go. So, another quote from Goff in this, again of, about jazz. When musicians are able to successfully connect with one another at this level, this level of improvisation and so, and establish a groove. I, I did look up the word in the, in the dictionary. I, I feel like what he's meaning here with groove, but I know what it is in Dutch. And establish a groove, they often find, yeah, that's the, the groove. They often find themselves able, listen, listen carefully, they often find themselves able to, be, to perform beyond their capacity. So what he's saying here is when they manage to find this cooperation, this improvisation, this innovation, trying things to work things out, then he says in the end, and, and we've got musicians here who know this, they often find themselves able to perform beyond their capacity. They can do more than when they had planned it before and say, no, you do this, you do this, you do this, bullet one, bullet two, etc. And then, and this dimension, God says, is perhaps the most elusive, uh, incomprehensible, perhaps in English, the most elusive, if vital, characteristic of jazz improvisation. Now, we all know what jazz improvisation is. But see what I mean? This, it, it is kind of incomprehensible. You, you, can't, you can't quite get the grip of it. You, 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 you work together, you fill in the blanks, and, and at a certain point you know we've done more than we would have done if we would have organized it all in different sections. So that's why I want to give, I want to end up with a few examples. This is one. Adam's example is one. Uh, Goff is actually saying we need to work together. That's what he is saying. Adam is actually saying, and maybe I can read another um, thing he says. In scripture and amongst other movements in church history that have gone viral, there is a degree of mess and uncoordination. This is real English. Uncoordination, yeah. Mess and uncoordination nation to the pioneer phase of development. However, listen, however, we then see order, shape, and direction brought to the situations where life has taken root. So this is a kind of the story. We, we, know all the story. we, we all know the story, I think, of, of Terry. I always like to tell it because it's a funny story. You, you know it, yeah. The, the evangelist and the pastor going out for a hunt. You, you know the story? Probably Terry borrowed it as well. I don't know, but they, they're out there in, hunting in the mountains. And then 
the evangelist says to the pastor, something like that, you go and prepare already the meal. This is a typically pastoral thing to do that. I go and search the, the environment. So he goes out, pastor goes in, prepares a meal, and looks out of the window, and all of a sudden he sees this evangelist coming running towards the cabin with a huge bear behind him. And he thinks, oh boy, this is no good. So what, what do you do? He runs to the door, throws the door open, so that the, and keeps it in his hand so that when the evangelist is in, he can shut it at once. So he throws the door open. The evangelist is coming running. All of a sudden, just be, before the door, he steps aside. The bear runs in. He says, take care of him. I get another one. <laughs> I think this is such a funny story. But this is actually what's happening here. What, what, what Adam is saying, you need people who stir up the thing, who make a bit of a mess, who proclaim the gospel, who make people jealous of the, of the gospel and envy for the gospel. And then when you've got them all together, then you need someone to sort this out. This is what happens in Acts 11. I'm not speaking math here. I'm just simply directing the word. So they gathered the people, God added, they, God blessed them with people, and then the Jerusalem church said, we have to sort out this mess. And they sent Barnabas and Paul, and in the end they had the church. And Adam is actually advocating for, for this way of working together. But that needs to be teamwork. So then in the end he says, maybe we should not always think of sending a church planter somewhere, Maybe we should think of send, sending someone who can preach the gospel. And at some stage, we need people to, to organize this. Now, I come back to Groningen. This is the last thing. Because when we had this discussion about is, is something a, a, a church plant or a multi-site or whatever you would name it, I, th- I personally thought, I, I don't mind to be honest, as long as people hear the gospel and are shaped into a family as a church. So a year ago, over a year ago, January last year, I gave a talk to the, to a church, to the church gathering about missional communities. And I was just thinking of it. Emmanuel mentioned the word missional communities in Groningen. And it struck me that it's only a good year ago that we, that we talked to the church about it and that we've now defined eight missional communities in Groningen. It's only a year, which is very short, actually. I mean, a year ago, people sitting and thinking, what is he saying? What is a missional community? What do you mean by that? I'm trying to explain that and to expound it. And a year later, everyone, well, it's like Mike this this morning, not everyone, of course, some people were thinking of shopping and so on, but... Most of the church know what a missional community is, and almost half of the church is part of a missional community. What I said then is, I gave a definition of missional community. Missional community is a family of missionary servants. It's from a book. I forgot the the author. It's a family of missionary servants who make disciples who make disciples. This is true. This is a missional community. Then the author goes on and he explains it a bit more. And then he says, first of all, it's a family. 
Because a missional community is a group of believers who live and experience life together like a family. See, this is the cruise ship from Penny's prophecy. They live together, they share life together, they love life, they enjoy life, they're, they're actually advocating the life of the kingdom of God by the way they live. Not by the way they speak, but by the way they live. And then he goes on, but it's also missionary. So he says missionaries, God's family, he says, is also like sent like the son by the spirit to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, the gospel, and fulfill the commission of Jesus. And the missional community, he then concludes, is the best context in which disciples are made and developed. So, to bring it back down to earth, what we thought we was we'd best start off. And we'll see where it ends. We now have eight missional communities. Three are in the city. And they are about, well, an average of 20, 25 adults, I think. It's fair to say. Some less, some more. We've got four outside the city. Well, one town is debatable whether or not it's outside the city. We know after the elections, we know what it is. But there are about 20, an average of 20 people. Some are smaller, some are a bit, big, bit bigger. And we've got the international missional community, which we can never number. We'll see. That's it, more or less. Then the people from the missional communities, I've visited some of them. And then they, in, in the beginning, start to ask, are we a church plant? I don't have a clue. Are we going to be a multi-site? We don't know. So then what are we? A missional community. A family living together, showing the kingdom of God, proclaiming the gospel, and somewhere on the road, apostles and prophets will come and clear up the mess and define what you are. And then you say, yes, you are a church. So if that works all right, then... The necessity for us as a team to shut down church plants, which we actually don't want to do. This is not our core business, is it? Shutting down church plants. We don't have to do that anymore because we, we, we went along with the commission of God and on the way we defined what we were doing and in the end we cleared up the mess and, and saw to it that there is, there is a, a team of elders, there is well, whatever is needed for a church. And then we can add them to the list and not being afraid of removing them with the next uh, renewal of the, of the website. See what I mean? So then coming to the mainland and England, I, I try to figure out what the difference is between the UK and the mainland. I can tell you one big difference, a very big difference. I remember a prophecy, a vision, I think, a prophetic vision, I don't know where and when it was. It was somewhere in, in, in the UK. A prophetic vision of uh, uh, flaming arrows being launched, shut off to the continent of Europe, mainland Europe. Anyone here who knows this? Sorry? Possible. I don't know. But I, I only remember the vision. That's enough. You don't know to remember who told it because it was by the Holy Spirit. So... Flaming arrows being shot to the mainland. This is the first difference between UK and mainland Europe. 
God in his sovereignty chose the UK to fire from fiery darts to the mainland. And everywhere, the, this was the vision again, everywhere the, the flaming arrows landed, a fire commenced. The fire started. So the, the message was clear. God will send out his, his darts to the mainland, start new churches everywhere. So our, well, our debt to, to the UK from, from the mainland's perspective is, is huge because someone obeyed God's commission to fire arrows. I, well, I, we, are very, we are very grateful for that. But there are also differences. Uh, when, I first met, when I first came into the UK, I was so surprised. When you pass by an Anglican church in the old days, I don't know how it's now anymore, but when you pass by an Anglican church, there were, there were these huge signs outside the door, billboards actually, and it had a text on it, a biblical verse, and a welcome to the next Sunday service. It was about, I think, 20 years ago when I saw that. I thought, this is unthinkable in Holland. Well, only the flaky and weird congregations do that. But for a normal church to have a billboard outside with a Bible verse on it and a welcoming for the next service, so, so remote is the Dutch culture from the Bible and Christianity. So we have to find different ways in, every, in each culture how to, to, to Im- image the kingdom of God, how to, to, to make the church visible. And if you go further on the road, I was also thinking of Belgium and France, Roman Catholic countries, Italy. So then, then I, I thought, these are very much different countries because they're very Roman Catholic and some of them never read the, the Bible. They, you, you all know about the Holy Trinity in the Roman Catholic Church. I think it's Jesus, Mary, and the Pope or something like that. They don't, they don't have a clue. So there's a whole, an, a different way of working needed to enter into the south of Europe. Speaking of Eastern Europe, which is very much in the news now, would, would, would require a much different approach. So even within a short, relatively short distance within Europe, UK and mainland, there are so much differences. But what is the same is the need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. So the commission is the same. Go therefore and make all the all people to my disciples. The need is the same, only the methods vary. So I would like to advocate advocate for for an attitude like Adam is describing here, just and and, and Goff is mentioning in his definitions, just let's go. And let's go in obedience, not having all things in place yet, but we know what we believe, don't we? We know what we can articulate. Let's go live out the kingdom of God. And and somewhere on the road, we need apostles and prophets to sort it all out. So the the low, how do you say that? Low control, high accountability thing. This is so, so important for us. So I think (laughs) we, we need to send through the missiles, the fires. How do you say that? Relational relational missiles <laughs> we when when mike mentioned when mike mentioned penny's prophecy duke said to me relational missiles it, this is actually the the image that he gave a, a, a warship and a cruise ship together you get relational missiles so let's 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 produce relational missiles and then some 
point of time have them uh, turned into a church. Amen? Can I pray into that? A few of us can. We, we have seven minutes left to four o'clock. I'm the man of control, as you know. <laughs> so, and when the Holy Spirit says it's eight minutes, it's all, all right as well. So can we stand? <laughs>